0: I'm Alexander Heffner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our debate podcast edition of the program. I'm honored to welcome my friend Norman Ornstein, resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute and a contributing editor for The Atlantic. Norm, it's great to reconnect with you. It certainly is for me too, Alexander. Norm, you tweeted just within these last 24 hours, just a word of warning. Trump is losing. He knows he's losing. He's desperate.
1: Expect a last-minute late-October Hail Mary surprise. We know what Trump has been doing, uh, and that is he's trying to use his rallies to make himself feel better. And we also know, uh, including in a story today, that the Trump campaign in Miami-Dade, Florida, is doing what it can to discourage and suppress votes of African-Americans there. We know they're hoping to get a lot of help from the courts, and the Supreme Court's giving them some help, as others have, uh, although in some instances, um, Uh, thanks in part to the yeoman work of Mark Elias, a lawyer. Uh, They've uh, been able to get at least a few concessions in states. But we're seeing voter suppression uh, in a lot of places and making it more difficult for people to vote. That doesn't mean we aren't going to see the votes. But what we know now is that, uh, one, the president tonight uh, refused to even address the issue of Russia's interference in the campaign talked again repeatedly about the Russian hoax from 2016. And one of the things I tweeted tonight was just a reminder that the Senate Intelligence Committee, with a Republican majority, unanimously said it was not a hoax when it involved uh, Russia and its involvement in the campaign and Trump's people's involvement with the Russians. Uh, I'm expecting more of that. And while we don't know definitively As Biden said tonight, that 50 former top intelligence officers, including some former heads of the CIA, uh, said that uh, the emails uh, ostensibly coming from Hunter Biden had all the markings of uh, a a Russian manipulation. Uh, We don't know definitively, but I'm expecting we're going to see more. And I'm expecting, especially given what we've seen uh, from Rudy Giuliani, uh, that we will have more presumed. Uh, revelations about uh, Hunter Biden, and uh, they may be uh, something that involves uh, something very different than uh, his attachments to uh, Ukraine and Burisma. There have been all of these underlying hints of finding child pornography on the uh, uh, laptop, um, which is the sort of thing that that really does fit uh, Russian uh, modus operandi but I'm expecting something uh, of that variety in the final days of the campaign. Just one last thing here, keep in mind that all of this, and that includes the impact that debates might have, which is usually modest, it doesn't change a lot of minds, uh, is that we've already had an astonishingly large number of people who have voted early, that by the time we get to the election, uh, Michael McDonald, the political scientist at the University of Florida who follows this stuff, estimates we could have 80 uh, voting early. We've already had significantly more than half of that. And so these last minute surprises, late October surprises, tend not to do very much. With respect to the authenticity
0: of any salacious material, um, it, the validation of that is not something that uh, Biden is going to entertain whatsoever, it appears from the debate tonight. The the idea of acknowledging Um, that any of that innuendo or suggestion is true. But what we will recall is the New York Times front page coverage with the photo of Secretary Clinton on the airplane, learning about the reopening of the investigation and later the Comey letter. My question to you is, when you say be prepared for something similar, I think you're invoking parallel to that experience with Secretary Clinton and the possibility that this is not just a Giuliani disinformation operation, but that um, the AG of the United States, uh, Bill Barr, is working um, in conjunction with Trump's political advisors to launch um, some sort of formal U.S. government investigation on the basis of what we believe to be disinformation. So what would that scenario entail over these next days?
1: You know, I, we, we don't know what will happen when Trump gets very desperate. What we do know is that his director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, who tonight in the debate he praised as doing such a great job, um, is somebody who lied about his qualifications, was disqualified before he got put into the position and is clearly acting on behalf of Trump and not necessarily the intelligence community or America's national interest. And Bill Barr um, has already done a number of things to suggest that he will act in Trump's interest. How far that goes, we just don't know. Again, the fact that so many votes will have been cast early make it a little less significant. But I'm worried about what will happen on Election Day And I'm also worried about these kind of last minute things that can come from a government and have a patina of legitimacy that um, are just like, as I said, a Hail Mary uh, pass. Uh, At this point, frankly, um, we know uh, that uh, we've had 177 national surveys of some uh, reasonable polls uh, since uh, the campaign began. 133 of them show. Biden with over 50 percent. That's better than by far than what Clinton had. Uh, But we also know from David Wasserman, a great analyst with the Cook Political Report, looking at uh, polls done at the congressional district level in swing states, that Trump is underperforming right now with older voters, with uh, College educated white voters, those suburban voters, especially suburban uh, women, with even compared to uh, 2016, uh, non-college educated white voters. So I will tell you, when you look at what at the debate tonight, would his answers on the coronavirus help him with older voters, where he's now astonishingly, uh, this was a core uh, group of support for Trump, running behind Biden. Biden is actually leading among older voters, and the uh, unhappiness with the way coronavirus has been handled is a core part of that. Hard for me to imagine that he's going to gain votes with that group from this. If you look at the questions surrounding child separation, just that alone, um, Trump, uh, you know, in his uh, rallies, keeps saying, suburban housewives, won't you like me? I don't think that's going to help very much uh, with suburban voters. And I'm not sure what he said that will make a difference, maybe a little bit in terms of motivation for those non-college educated white voters who are his core base of support. And I will say the one question I had there uh, of whether it will make any difference is Biden talking about phasing out oil, Um, whether that can be used. And I suspect we're going to see that hammered away at over and over and over again by uh, Trump and his campaign in the final days, whether that could make a difference in a state like Pennsylvania, or even in Texas, where Biden is highly competitive. uh, That's the only question that I have from this debate about anything Biden said that might make a difference.
0: Finally, Norm, you know, One Nation After Trump is the title of your really important book. It's not clear that we will have one nation if Trump is reelected.
1: It was really striking that, when offered opportunities in many instances to try to show that he could pivot and reach out more broadly to other groups uh, beyond that narrow base that he has, Trump didn't do it. And I thought Biden's finest moments were when he talked about uh, being president of everybody and not red states and blue states. Uh, that. Uh, that was an indication. But we've seen many other indications. And one thing that troubled me very much today, yesterday and today, was this new executive order that uh, Trump has signed that would effectively blow up 145 years of a career government and, uh, and civil service. Uh, I think it's illegal. It probably can't stand. But it's the idea of taking people who are career people putting them into a different category, whether they like it or not, uh, that would enable a president to fire them with no recourse, no hearing, nothing that they could do. That means he could take somebody like Anthony Fauci and just get rid of him, while at the same time filling the ranks of the uh, bureaucracy with his own loyalists. This is the stuff that we would see in a uh, uh, Viktor Orban's Turkey and in uh, uh, Hungary and uh, Erdogan's Turkey that we're not used to in the United States. And it's a signal of what we would have in a second term. And let's remember that when uh, the Senate uh, failed to remove him from office with the impeachment trial, that Susan Collins of Maine and Lisa Murkowski of Alaska said, well, we think he's at least learned his lesson the lesson that he learned was now I'm free. If he gets reelected, he will feel no constraints whatsoever. And uh, I just don't think that the Republic uh, could survive another four years of it.
0: Norm Mornstein, my friend, thank you so much for your insight today.
1: Uh, great to be with you, Alexander.
0: Now I'm joined by Jennifer Mercia and Jason Stanley, two experts on authoritarianism, demagoguery, and autocracy. Welcome to you both. Let me start with you, Jennifer. What we witnessed tonight with Donald Trump and his more restrained pattern of speech, thanks to the implementation of a mute function, but perhaps in line with some of his advisors' guidance that he not unleash himself to be a Tasmanian devil— Is that characteristic of demagogue to to sort of try to revert to some semblance of normalcy that mainstream folks can try to justify?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at Trump's history in 2016, he was very able to um, intensify his rhetorical strategies when he needed to, when he felt like his back was up against the wall. Um, and, and he was very much able to loosen those things up and, you know, be more friendly and and happy um, and, and really be more of an entertainer when he didn't feel as threatened. So, um, you know, what I think we saw was Trump knowing that his first performance was a failure and, you know, being counseled that he needed to be, more approachable yet still, you know, try to be tough and, you know, claim victory and and all of those kinds of things. And so um, I think he was trying to strike a balance. Um, He didn't seem like he was enraged the whole time. So I'm sure he'll claim victory. Uh, I don't know that he persuaded anyone, you know, who wasn't already going to support him.
0: Jason, let me ask you, when we hear Donald Trump at at rallies, uh, which is his favorite venue, he he is explicitly threatening political opponents with jail and prosecution. Um, And he has gone farther than he ever did in even 2015 or 2016 with those threats to imprison Obama or uh, Biden. When he says it in the rally, um, there is a, a segment of the press that will not accept it at face value increasingly since he took office there are more people who take those threats seriously but when he performs in a debate and is normalized by the media there is a backtracking of of sort of the understanding what the threat is and i and i wonder how you see it
3: yeah i think the normalization It works in his favor,
0: obviously, and the media
3: really is complicit with this. And I think the normalization uh, had multiple functions today, the more normal demeanor. Uh, One function is that it's a rhetorical thing to, to produce a kind of sense of normalcy, but he lied his head off. He was trying to create this completely alternative reality in which Biden and the Biden family Was as the facts suggest, Trump and the Trump family is. And if you're going to create that alternative reality, uh, you know, it doesn't really help to snarl it or interrupt it. Uh, You know, you have to create that alternative reality uh, and allow the media to say, oh, he seemed like a normal president today, even though the content of what he said was far from normal.
0: And you mentioned projection, um, and that is his tactic whenever he's facing off against another political leader. When he's not directly responding to the other political leader, he's often calling them names, uh, threatening them with punishment. Um, and you know, the, the the question of of the rule of law here is when we see the conduct from him um, that is autocratic impulse, and then it turned into autocratic rhetoric and autocratic behavior. Jason, if he were to be reelected, how much farther along the autocratic trajectory do you think we would be?
3: I think, uh, you know, you just have to think of this country, not as the United States, but as country X, and say to yourself, here's what's happening in country X. The leader is joking about staying in office forever. Uh, He had a great line at a rally the other day when he said, uh, you know, some, they say I'm stupid. I'm very stupid. On the other hand, you know, they say I have a plan for taking over the country, so I must be brilliant. Well, which is it? Am I stupid or am I brilliant? (laughs) So, you know, obviously, you know, he doesn't know and we don't know which of those is true. But he probably has some kind of plan to uh, for some kind of autocracy if he can get away from get away with it. Uh, and the Republican Party, obviously, the Supreme Court, they've grabbed the courts. If you describe this as any other country, country acts, the leader talks like this. The p- party he's in has grabbed the courts. The courts are p- completely partisan. Uh, what would you think? You'd think, okay, well, democracy, is going to be in severe peril in that country.
0: Jennifer, what do you think would change about folks' perception that it is realistically not just demagoguery, but authoritarianism? Um, when you see that transition from his aspiration to imprison a political rival, from the joke of it to the reality of it, um, you know. For, for some in American society, there has been not enough uh, gesture or activity towards the autocracy to really fundamentally change their idea of where we are.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a question I've asked myself repeatedly over the last five years. You know, is Trump um, America's authoritarian P.T. Barnum um, or is he just pretending to be an authoritarian? Um, and And what I realized and what I keep trying to explain to folks um, is that it doesn't matter if <laughs> if he's pretending to be an authoritarian or if he's actually an authoritarian um, because both of uh, pretending to be an authoritarian and actually being an authoritarian um, are compliance gaining strategies they're a kind of force you're forcing all of the other political actors. Um, to, to act in a way that they wouldn't normally act under, you know, actual democratic conditions. Um, you're, you're making people believe that you have the possibility of being a, a real authoritarian, um, and you're using that um, as leverage against them. And so, you know, it's actually authoritarian to pretend to be an authoritarian. Jennifer and Jason, thank you so much for your insight tonight.
1: Thank you so much, Alexander.
2: Thank you.